This is episode 14 of the V Podcast. The V Podcast is brought to you by CovalentLeadership.com, where we help you become the best leader you can be through giving you the tools you need to develop your leadership skills. Thank you for listening and enjoy episode 14 of the V Podcast. Welcome to the V Podcast, where two men are trying to stamp out bad leadership in America, one podcast at a time. And if you're ready to become a 21st century leader, then the V Podcast is for you. On the V Podcast, we discuss the leadership problems in today's workplace and outline solutions to make you a better leader. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. Now, here's your host. Welcome to the V Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Dr. Joe Fleischman. And we are Covalent Leadership, and we are here to stamp out bad leadership one podcast at a time. And today is one of those days, Joe, when the caffeine is kicked in and I am fired up and ready. How about you? (laughs) Well, let's do this thing then, Jeff. This is our last podcast of the season. Well, that's one of those bittersweet moments because I think we saved the best one for last, but it's... It's been a grind putting these together, so I'm excited that it's done to catch my breath, but I'm sad that it's over. But I think we've got some good stuff lined up for next season, so, you know, it'll be a short break, and away we go. It will be, and I I couldn't agree more. I think next season, as fun as this has been, next season is going to be exciting because we're talking about the how-tos of covalent leadership, and it doesn't get any better than that. No. No, I, uh, everybody loves a good recipe, and next season is going to be chock full of recipes. <laughs> but let's finish off this one strong with the malignancy of manipulation. Oh, manipulation. Now, before we start manipulating people, let's invite them to go to the website, download the autopsy form, and take a look at their organization and see if they can spot it and... Uh, we're excited for that. We've had some good results from uh, people using the leadership autopsy form. So keep it up. We're excited to hear about the successes that people are using with that. And Jeff, to our listeners out there, I think the thing that they're going to really love about this podcast this week is that as they do that leadership autopsy form, this is the, this is the podcast that pulls it all together. This is the first time we're going to look at all of the malignant leadership tendencies and see how there's a common thread of dysfunctional through an organization. You're going to notice as we look at our examples, which are typical, they're normal examples, you're going to see multiple malignancies thriving in failing organizations. But you're going to be able to identify them, which is wonderful. So with that, I just want to remind everybody about the analogy that you gave in the first episode about the lion's. Would you just refresh everybody about the analogy of the lions? Right. If you remember, the issue was that I had put you on the plains of Africa and you were walking in the plains of Africa one day with a stick. That's all you had. You were about a mile away from your house, your hut, and you looked up and there standing in front of you was a giant lion, one male lion. And I asked you, Jeff, given the fact that all you have is a pair of running shoes and a stick, What did you think your chances of survival were? Well, I carry a big stick, so I think I had a small chance of survival, but it was not above 50-50. Yeah, it wasn't above 50-50. And then I asked you, hey, Jeff, now suppose that same scenario existed, and this time when you looked up, there was not one lion, but two lions facing you. What did you think your chances of making it back to the hut safely were with two lions 
directly in front of you. I was thinking I would probably just have to ask the lions if they need some steak sauce with their meal that night. Yeah, it's about the truth of it. <laughs> and then, then we looked at we said, Jeff, now what would happen if instead of two lions, you're out on this African savanna and uh, suddenly you notice it got a little dark because you just weren't paying attention and you looked up and there you were carrying your stick in your running shoes and there were five lions between you and your hut. <laughs> my, my chances of surviving are zero. Right. Is zero. And so here's the big leap. Let's take that exact same scenario. And this time, instead of five lions, there are 10 lions. Are your chances, are they any worse than they were before? No, my odds don't change. Right. Once once we get past two lions, my odds don't change. That's exactly it. And that's the, that's the thing about malignant leadership behaviors. One will kill you. Two will kill you faster. But you reach a point when an organization is so dysfunctional in its leadership and its leadership is bringing in so many malignant leadership behaviors that your odds of survival are simply horrible. You're going to go down. That's the thing about uh, cancers and and malignancies. They kill you. They just, some kill you faster and some kill you slower. But when you introduce more malignant behaviors to an organization, the more dysfunctional it becomes and the faster it dies, but it's going to die. And that's what makes today's malignancy so bad. It's the scenario of, you know, the 10 plus lions. And today we're talking about the malignancy of manipulation. And uh, I think one of the best illustrations of manipulation, is, since we're movie buffs, one of the best illustrations is the movie, The Sting. Boy, wasn't that wonderful. That, but Paul Newman and Robert Redford, did they have it figured out? They played the con like a Stradivarius. They did. It was awesome. And, you know, the other one, the more recent comparison to that is Ocean's Eleven. I, I love both of those two movies because, you know, who's con in the con? And it just goes. And that's the essence of manipulation. But the thing is about it, someone's getting conned. That's just all there is to it. Someone's getting conned. And it's usually the leadership that's doing it for their own purpose. Now, a lot of people are going to say, you know, not all manipulation is bad. And I, and I would agree with you. I want to look at my granddaughter, Natalie Matilda Hall. She's the greatest manipulator of them all. She's one year old. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can hear this coming because, well, go ahead. Tell your story because this is a good one. Well, there's just absolutely nothing that you, you don't do for it. When she looks at you, you melt and, and you fall all over yourself. And that's just the way it is. And you feel wonderful. <laughs> you feel wonderful conceding and you feel and you're going like she got, got she has grandpa wrapped around her fingers and I'm all for that. But the thing about it is I want us to go back and look at the definition of manipulation as we begin this conversation. All right, let's start there. The definition of manipulation is to control or play upon by artful, unfair or insidious means, especially to one's own advantage. To be artful, unfair or insidious in the attainment of one's own advantage. And that's where that's where it goes amok. Because, you know, when my daughter, granddaughter is manipulating me, I'm thrilled. She's thrilled. It's a win-win. There's nothing insidious or unfair about that. So to look at and say everyone gets manipulated, that's true. But there's a, there's a way it can happen in a positive way. And there's a way that it can happen in a very harmful way. And our leadership in America chooses the harmful way 99.9999% of the time. Well, let me ask you a question. I I came across a a quote this morning that I wanted to discuss, which I thought was really interesting. The quote comes from Bob Berg in his book, Adversaries to Allies, and he says, there is perhaps nothing more dangerous 
than a bad person with good people skills. Oh man, that is brilliant. And it hit me right between the eyes because I, I got to thinking about it. I thought, you know, aren't we all manipulators to some extent every day? You know, if you're a sales guy, you're always trying to manipulate your sale to buy your product or whatever. Or if you're a boss, you're trying to motivate and manipulate your people to do their jobs or to do whatever. So how do we distinguish that line between good manipulation and bad manipulation? And when I came across that quote, I just went, wow, hand smack to the forehead. Yeah. And Jeff, I love that. That that's really exciting because I'll tell you, I'll tell you where that line is. That as a salesman, my job is to solve problems, right? That's my job. I, I'm a professional problem solver. And if I can help you identify what your problem is and quantify it and verify it and measure it, Hey, then maybe I can come up with a solution to your problem and offer that solution, which makes your life a lot better. Right. And, and that's the key. It is not unfair and it is not insidious and it is not designed to take advantage of another person. So when I'm in a healthy relationship with you and I, let's take that sales role, when I'm in a healthy uh, relationship with you as a business and me as a salesman, you are getting as much or more out of that exchange than I am. And if that's not happening, then we've crossed the line. And I, you can think of it in many in many instances where leadership has done something where they and only they benefit and everyone else in the organization is harmed. And they walk away and go, that was great. I won. Well, that's called manipulation. And that's that's that line. Well, that's interesting, Joe. So now let's look at the types of manipulators that are out there. You know, everybody has different bosses and there's different types of manipulation that we're all that we're all subject to, but I, I think you can boil it down into four different types of manipulators. The first type of manipulator is someone who manipulates through aggression and intimidation. Some, basically someone that's using fear to control you or to get you to do what they want you to do. I would agree with that. There's, um, we, in fact, we talked about that just a podcast or two ago, that fear is probably the number one type of manipulation that takes place in the business sector today. Both, both public and private sector. It is. Now, the second type of manipulator is someone who attacks your self-worth. You know, they, they come up to you and they go, you dummy, why didn't you, why'd you do it that way? That doesn't make sense. Or couldn't you think that through? Or, you know, anything that attacks your self-worth, they're manipulating you to get you to do what they want. Right, because if you start doubting your abilities, then you have to turn to them and their leadership because you're not smart enough to make those decisions. I get it. It goes back to that smart enough. They're trying to control you through thinking you're not smart. The third type of manipulator is a flatterer. And these are the, the slickest ones because they'll come up and they'll pay you that nice compliment. But in reality, they're trying to move you towards their position. And that's a tough one, don't you think? I do. And I, the one who comes to mind when I think of this, this is how old I am. I think of leave it to beaver. And remember there was that guy who was always coming, he's like Wally. And he would walk up to Mrs. Beaver and say, that's a beautiful apron you have, Mrs. Cleaver. <laughs> that's a, be yes, Wally. And you just like, what a suck up. And you just, you hated him. And we, we see those people at work, they're probably really the easiest the spot at work because they're always on the um, extreme end of flattery. And, and they, they are not genuine. They're very disingenuous people. 
Yes, they're very true. And the last form of a manipulator, and again, you could probably break this down into a million different ways, but I, I whittled it down to four that I thought you could kind of lump everything into. But the last one is the, oh, poor me. You know, my life is so bad. I've, I've, I've had all these things going wrong right now. And, you know, if, if we do it this way, it's just going to cause me so much more stress. Oh, poor me. Jeff, I don't know where you found these four types of manipulators, but you nailed it, sir. So that you've got that sense of intimidation and fear. You've either controlling an individual. And again, let's go up to that definition. It's insidious. It's artful and it's unfair. So you're going to intimidate them and create fear in their lives. You're going to make them feel as though they have no ability whatsoever to think on their own, to act independently, that they question their own self-worth. You're going to play up to the flattery that they have. And you're going to compliment them and you're going to try and win them over with insincerity or you're just going to badmouth yourself and try to convince people in an artful way that you should be pitied. That's it. And it not it a sad combination of leadership skills when you lump it all together like that? It is. It is. And, you know, as to bring the current news into it, I start looking at how the government is functioning right now. And you can see all four of those on display on the headlines today. And that's just talking about health care. You know, that's just talking about a balanced budget. You know, when we talk about health care in the U.S. government today, is fear brought up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Is the attack on self-worth on the individuals who are making these decisions? Is there not a lot of what we might consider libel or slander? But aren't we attacking the very people who are coming up with these ideas? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see some horrible ideas being floated, and yet the individuals who are doing it are being flattered by insurance companies and other stakeholders who want a very specific course of action. So you see flattery uh, in it all over the place. Yeah. It's just, and I'm going to probably jump ahead in the discussion here a little bit, but you see that on display, and it is all 12 of the malignant behaviors are on full display today in front of us, trying to manipulate people. You do. You know, Jeff, getting away from the the United States Congress, which is not functioning at an effective level, let's take a look at at my two favorites, the Koch brothers, uh, Charles Koch and David Koch. The world knows them as the Koch brothers, and they're very, very wealthy Republicans who spend hundreds of millions of dollars each year in trying to manipulate our politicians and our Congress to do certain things. And, you know, when you look at them and their behavior, are they practicing aggression and intimidation? Oh, all the time. I come to an individual and I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to support me. If I'm a Koch brother, I want you to support me and I want to push my legislation. And if you do that, I will give you a lot of money. And if you don't do that, I will give even more money to a person that I'm going to run against you. Is that straight up fear and aggression? Absolutely. And if that doesn't work, then the Koch brothers can take out ads and they can start smearing you in the news, in the media, and they can question your ability to lead, question your integrity as an individual. Have we heard that coming from the Koch brothers in any political campaign? I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but yes. Yeah. And certainly the whole intent of the Koch brothers, once they start pouring the money in, is they want the whole world to know that you are the best person for the job. And then all of these accolades start rolling out about who you are and why you're qualified. 
So flattery becomes one of those components of their manipulation as well. Man, I think we've just hit 10 lions right there in just the Koch brothers. Right. And then you've got a poor me mentality shifts a little bit because now you get these politicians who stand up and that are being supported by the Koch brothers. And you even hear the Koch brothers themselves saying, we don't have any choice in this. Things are so bad for us that if we don't start spending money to create an environment that makes it conducive for us to do business, we're going to go out of business. So we don't have any choice in our behavior. We're just victims in this whole scenario. That's an amazing manipulation. That is. And you know that you talk about going out of business. Uh, let's jump to Wells Fargo. Sure. And let, let's talk about that situation there because while they didn't go out of business, how were those poor people manipulated to create all those fake accounts through leadership? What's that? Well, let's take a look at that. You look at all of the malignant behaviors that we talked about, the malignancy of disconnection, the malignancy of hubris and avarice and lies and duplicity and cunning and deception and fear. And another one that I particularly enjoy, situational ethics and manipulation. Those are the malignant behaviors in general. But let's take a look at the four types of manipulation and see how they manifest themselves. Was there aggression and intimidation on the part of the leadership in Wells Fargo towards their employees to do criminal things? Yes. Right. And then they fired 5,300 employees. And what message did that send to the other several hundred thousand employees who were left working there? What was the message? If you don't do this, you're going to be unemployed. Right. That's straight up fear and intimidation. How about attacking their self-worth? When a person or persons phoned into the ethics hotline and said, hey, wait a minute, I see behavior here that is not ethical. What did they do to those people? They, what do you mean? It's not fair. Are you, are you on some high horse or something? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Did that attack their self-worth? Did that clearly question that employee's ability to discern right from wrong? Yeah. And to do their job. Well, other people are signing up lots of accounts without having to do this. How, what's your problem? Yeah. Hey, if everyone else is doing it, and why are you complaining? Mm-hmm. See how situational ethics rolls in? Mm-hmm. And flattery. The flattery in the form of Wells Fargo came in the form of financial remuneration. For those individuals who behaved unethically, for those individuals who were willing to be manipulated, what happened to them financially? They, they got bonuses. You know, you talk about that flattery. It goes back to the movie, the big, oh, about the uh, the crash of the housing market. Talk about getting re- remuneration and flattery. Those people in the housing market were making so much money for acting in such an irresponsible behavior. That was a great example of flattery, like the Wells Fargo. Right. And then finally, you get this whole poor me thing where where you get these leaders in the, in the industry saying, Look, we don't we don't have any choice. Our competition is growing. And if we don't position ourselves in the marketplace, we're going to be out of business. This isn't something we want to do. Um, and, and then and then the leadership comes back in. And when they get caught and John Stump says, I feel horrible. I feel violated. I can't believe these people did this to our company. Who? Wow. If I had only known, I'd have fixed it. So that's that right at that poor me. You see all four types of this manipulation in a failed organization. And Jeff, how many, how many of the malignant behaviors can we identify? Let's just go down the list in Wells Fargo. Was Wells Fargo disconnected from the customers that they were trying to deceive? Yes or no? Check. Check. Was there excessive hubris 
in Wells Fargo? Check. Was there excessive avarice, the need to make more money in Wells Fargo? Check. Were lies a component of the Wells Fargo culture? Absolutely. Did duplicity exist in Wells Fargo? Yes. Okay, so let's do a quick recap. There are 12 malignant behaviors. We see five of them already. I see six. Moving on to cunning. Was cunning existent in Wells Fargo? Very much so. Narcissism, right? Which is the perception of how people want to view you, that you want to be the biggest and the best. Was narcissism a part of it? Yep. Was deceptive leadership a part of the Wells Fargo culture? Yes, it was. Good. How about fear? Yeah. Do it my way or you're on the highway, bud. Did you see situational ethics there uh, raise its ugly head at all? Absolutely. Manipulation? Yep. And Jeff, finally, how about gamesmanship? You had to game the system to make it work, so absolutely. Early on, we have said in every podcast that leadership in America today is horribly broken. And here's a situation where if one malignancy will kill you, Two will do it faster and three will put you on the expressway. This is a case where leadership in one of the largest banks in America, one of the largest financial institutions, introduced 12 malignant behaviors into that organization. (laughs) Think about that. And what we're saying is if you look at Congress and we go through that list, are not most of these malignant behaviors, these leadership qualities, can you not identify most of them in the way Congress is doing business today. Absolutely. It's easy. It's really easy. The biggest leaders, the greatest leaders, the heavy hitters when it comes to leaders in the, in the nation. And we can see malignant behaviorship just rampant in it. That's why we say leadership in America today is horribly broken. It is. Now, let's jump forward to this. And let's, I want to go back to author Bob Berg because he gave us five telltale signs of spotting manipulative behavior in your leadership. And I I thought these were pretty good. So I want to share these with you today. The first one is a manipulative leader aims for control. They're trying to control the situation, the conversation. That's the first telltale sign of a manipulative leader. Okay. The second one is they use pressure. They're trying to pressure you into it and make, and making you feel uncomfortable. The third step is they are they get angry when they don't get what they want. And again, why do they get angry? To go back and use that fear and intimidation. Another sign, they are self-serving. And finally, this is the the to me, this is the piece de resistance for manipulation. They shift the focus from what they want to the wrong that you are not doing by complying with their request. Isn't that fascinating? I just when I saw that, I went, this is it. This is what manipulation is all about, those, those five things. Right. And you know what? My, my guess is, Jeff, those telltale signs, just like you were looking at the, the four types of manipulation, you probably see all five of those characteristics happen in a really failed manipulative leader. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about that. That reminds me of Governor McDonald. Now, where's Governor McDonald from? Virginia. The great state of Virginia. And what kind of mess is he in right now because of his manipulative behaviors? Well, you know, he was indicted and found guilty 
on, uh, I believe it was 11 counts of various forms of graft. It's odd because in the end, uh, this is a good example, I, uh, I guess, of how leaders are thinking. In the end, it turned out he was, you know, he received gifts. He received loans that went straight to his bank account. He received Rolexes, uh, Rolex. His wife was taken on uh, shopping trips uh, by by wealthy individuals who were trying to have influence in the government. I think in her instance, they went on about a $20,000 shopping spree in New York. But they received, I want to say, about $174,000 worth of gifts and cash straight up here. He went to court and they found him guilty in the first two courts. And he, he went to the Supreme Court. And it's not that he didn't do these things, Jeff. They did it. What the governor said is two things. He said, my wife did it. And he threw his wife under the bus. And because he shifted blame to somebody else, right, he shifted the focus to somebody else. That meant that he didn't do anything wrong. And the other thing that he pleaded before the Supreme Court is that even though he did these things, he was justified in doing these things because all the politicians do them. goes back to that situational ethics. That's what it means to be a politician today. That type of money is needed in order to have influence, in order to be recognized, in order to be connected to people who you need to be connected to. That because all the politicians are doing it, that is the new normal in politics today. And the Supreme Court essentially said, you're right, it's horrible. It's horrible. But what you did is no different than what other politicians are doing. And on that basis, we've established the new norm. And the Supreme Court overturned the verdict because his behavior was not egregious. Isn't that sad? His behavior was no longer deemed egregious. Um, I think it's funny that that his verdict, his ruling came out of the Supreme Court within the last week or so. And already there are three or four politicians who are in court who are pleading the McDonald finding to justify their behavior as politicians. That's that's just sad. That is sad. That's very sad. <laughs> Because it, it aims to serve only one person, the leader. And it uses any means to achieve that purpose. It's artful, it's unfair, and it's insidious. And it does not advance the organization. It only advances the leader. That is sad. So that, that leads me to this question. From the covalent leadership perspective, and really from any perspective, what is the problem with this leadership manipulative behavior or manipulative leadership? Right. You know, when 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 you have a manipulative leader, there are a couple of things that you know about them. They never bond to the organization or its people. They never form a meaningful relationship. It goes back to the whole thing that we've talked about all along. Bad leadership is all about I... I and I. And they lack total transparency. And that's the problem, is that they never bond, they never form meaningful relationships, and they can't because they understand something. They're going to get up today, and they're going to look at their people in the organization, and they are going to lie to them. And they are going to mislead them. And they are going to manipulate them. And the problem is, Jeff, you can't lie to your friends. No. You can't do it. So the key 
on manipulative leaders is they never form any bond. They simply look at everyone in their organization and they say, here's the rule, boys and girls. It's not personal. It's business. <laughs> that is true. It's business. So as, as we get ready to wrap up today, let's talk about some things that you can do to, to deal with the, the various types of manipulators. Now, the first one we talked about was aggression and intimidation. A couple things you can do. When you're, when you're facing a manipulator like that, you can just remain calm and don't reflect their behavior back on them or reflect fear. Because what is someone that's using aggression or intimidating trying to get out of you? A reaction. A reaction. They're trying to get you to react in a certain way. Yeah. And so when you don't do that, they're looking for validation for their, their emotions. So when you don't do that, you remove that validation from them. And what usually happens when you remove that validation? They get angry. You know, a good technique for that, for those of you who are listening, when a person tells you to do something, for instance, Jeff, give me an order. Tell me, tell me you want me to do something and it's not a good thing. And Joe, I want you to drink that bad drink for you. So Jeff, you think I should drink that poison? Is that what you're saying? I do. Why should I drink that poison? Because it's for the, the good of the organization. We need to get rid of you somehow. <laughs> Explain to me how that's good to the organization. Uh, well, if we don't have you around, then, um, you know, we don't have to worry about being honest all the time. See, and that's the trick is, is you just reflect that question back to them and you ask them, what, well, why is that? You're telling me that you want to doctor a bill? Is that what you're saying? That you want to doctor a bill and put in a fraudulent bill? Is that what I heard you say? When you articulate the course of action or articulate back to the individual publicly for them to hear, now they're faced with the reality. And that's a brutal reality. Very brutal. And the other thing, Jeff, I've been in that situation. And the second step is if a person looks at you and says, I want you to post-date that bill so that we can post those revenues early. And I look at them and go, now let me make sure I understand this correctly. You want me to post-date that bill so the revenues come in so that you get to post them in a different quarter. Is that correct? And that's not legal. You understand that. That's not legal. That's what you want me to do. Yes, that's what I want you to do. Okay, good. Here, here's what I want you to do. Send that to me in writing. Yep. You send that to me in writing. When I get that in writing, I'll take care of that. Yep. That's a beautiful way. <laughs> do you ever get it in writing? No, sir. Never. Does it? But but that's what you have to do. If they're gonna if they're gonna be aggressive and intimidate you, you have to stand up and go. Hmm. Okay. I am not gonna hunker down and take this. All right. Let's talk about self worth. So if someone starts to attack your self worth, a couple things you can do. The first thing is listen reflectively. And if they're attacking your self worth, then that's all about them. And so. One of your responses could be something like, I'm hearing that you're unhappy with my approach. How would you prefer me to do it? Or could you explain a little bit more about what's making you unhappy? Right. That whole, you appear to be angry. Why are you so angry? And the thing with, the thing with th those that are attacking your self-worth is you do not have to defend yourself. Because when you start defending yourself, that puts them in control again, which is what they're looking for. Exactly. And if they can get you to question your ability, they've won. They have. So you just realize you ran the good race and do not allow yourself to be drugged into the mud. It's like my grandfather said, never wrestle with a pig or you only get muddy and the pig loves it. The pig loves it. Now let's talk about flattery. The thing with flattery is that sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's sincere or not. So an easy way is just to go, okay, thank you, accept it, and then move on. But if the flattery seems to be directed towards changing your position, then you know it's not sincere. And the easy way to deal with that is reflect 
praise back to them. So for example, if I were to say, Joe, you're just so smart. You did a great job on that book today. And, and you feel like I was trying to manipulate you. How would you respond? I would say, you know, Jeff, well, thank you for, for that. But I want you to know there are a lot of people involved in it. I'll make sure I share it with the team. There you go. That's how you deal with that. And then the last one is how do you deal with the poor me manipulators? And the best way there is just to reflect it back. Oh, that sounds terrible. That must be frustrating. Tell you what, why don't we finish what we're talking about and then we can get back. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. And you know, Jeff, a strategy that works for me, although it's aggravating to the manipulator, is to look at them and go, you know, you're in a tight spot. I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> It just drives them nuts because there's no sympathy and it takes all the power away and it puts them right back or puts them in in the position of authority. Hey, you're in a tight spot. I'm sure you'll figure it out. The other part about that is you you cannot allow their problems to become yours because soon as you soon as you open that door, then they've got you. Yeah, and I don't have a wheelbarrow big enough for, for other people's problems. I have enough of my own. I'm Jeff, I'm just dying here. <laughs> I hear you, Joe. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, it's been a great discussion today. I, I've certainly enjoyed learning a little bit more about manipulation and how that works. So, Joe, any final words before we sign off for today? I'd like to reflect back at our very first podcast. So we talked a little bit about the law of central tendency. And uh, for those of you statisticians out there, and, and uh, I love you. Amen. I'm, I'm with you. The thing about the law of central tendency simply says that if we use enough samples, if, our, if the group that we're studying is large enough, then essentially everything is average, everything is normal. And if that's true, and it is, then it means that the leadership that we have out there today in general is average at best and mediocre typically. There is, however, a small sector in the marketplace, a 2%, we call them outliers. There's 2% of those individuals who refuse to live under the curve. They live to the right of that curve. And they are our greatest leaders in business and industry today. They are the greatest leaders in the public and private sector today. You know, when you look at them, history tells us Abraham Lincoln is one of those leaders. Margaret Thatcher's one of those leaders. Uh, Steve Jobs, one of those leaders. You know, we, they're out there. There aren't many, but they're out there. And covalent leadership is all about learning how to become one of the 2% with the courage to leave the safety and comfort of the curve. And as we look at wrapping up this year, I hope our leaders are able to understand a little better about what are those things that are causing behaviors that are causing so many of our leaders, 98% of them, to live under the ter- uh, curve of normal and why they're willing to settle for being mediocre so that they can decide for themselves which of those malignant behaviors they, they refuse to allow to introduce in their organization so that they can make a decision to say, I am going to leave the curve. I'm going to become one of the two percenters. I'm going to become one of the two percent of leaders in the world that people want to follow. I'm going to become a part of a cohort, a small cohort. The world looks at and admires as saying, I want to be like that person, right? I want to be like that person. Who wants to be like John Stump? Nobody. Right? Who wants to be like some of the individuals that we've looked at earlier with Albert? Who wants to be a Bernie Madoff? Nobody. But if you want to be a two percenter, covalent leadership will provide you with the skill sets you need to leave the pack behind. 
And next season, we're going to look at all the qualities that it takes to become a covalent leader. And I'll tell you what, when you master these things, people are going to be lining up at your door to be a part of your organization and they won't leave. That's what I'm really looking forward to next season. And that will be the fun part of next season, exploring those 2% of the leaders that are out there and then helping people understand what they can do and how to do it to get there. Because that's where the joy in leadership comes from is when you are a good leader and you don't feel like you're just swinging in the dark trying to figure out how to get things done. When you have the tool set to go out and actually do it, that's when it gets fun. Right. So as a wrap up, remember all of you out there, all of you waiting to become and striving to become that covalent leader, remember, leadership is first and foremost highly personal and never apologize for having the courage and wisdom to make it so. Make it so. And visit our website, covalentleadership.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on season one. And tell us what you thought about the malignant behaviors that we explored. You can follow us on iTunes. You can follow us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. So we look forward to seeing you next year. And until then, I'm Jeff. And I'm Joe. And we are Covalent Leadership. Have a great day. 